Welcome to Following the Way. We're a podcast that's all about following Jesus and learning his way for our lives. We believe that scripture reveals this way and invites us to follow. We're glad you're with us as we seek together. Hello and welcome to this podcast. Good to be together. You know, I I don't know where you guys are that are listening, you guys, you folks, but this this ongoing state that we find ourselves in and i'm i'm speaking locally here for the province of manitoba and and for the nation of canada i guess as by extension but it's it's uh it's tough it feels heavy i think talking to a lot of people uh it feels heavy and so you know again i i keep personally coming back to I really need to hear what Jesus is saying. I really need to hear what the Spirit is speaking to the churches in these days. I want to hear what the Lord would have us hear. And so, and it it just seems so needed and so necessary in these days uh, in such an acute way. And so maybe you're like, I'm not tracking with that at all. But maybe there's those of you that are going, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there, Paul. I, I'm really tracking with you. So, and maybe you're even in another nation or another country, and you're like, I'm so tracking with the fatigue, the exhaustion, and just the weight of what we're walking through, and the uncertainty, and uh, the noise, the noise. And and there's, I think I'm going to do a podcast on that yet coming up about just rejecting the noise and the distractions. And and I've got an idea around that that I want to unpack from the word. But for today, we're in the sixth letter of the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. We come to the letter to the church in Philadelphia. And, you know, this, this letter, along with the one to Smyrna, is the only one where we find no rebuke given. And that that stands out right away. And there's obviously reasons for that. Uh, but it has a very different tone to it than some of the other letters and definitely a very different tone than the last letter that we'll end off with next week, which is the letter to Laodicea. But in the interim, let's let's read the, the words of Jesus to this church. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. 
I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, right off again, Jesus says, I know your deeds. And, you know, just a note on that, um, because he says that, I don't know if it's in every letter. It may be. I'm just uh, quickly doing a, I think, I think it is. Um, Oh, maybe not. Never mind. (laughs) Um, You're probably like, Paul, move on. Um, But he, Jesus says here to the church, I know your deeds. And, And all that means is, I see you. I, I know what you're about. And, you know, on one level, that can be perhaps terrifying for people, the realization that if you, uh, if you receive that that's true, that this isn't just a baseless claim, but that actually it's true that, that there is a God in heaven who sees all and knows what we're about. There's, there's an aspect for all of us that that's terrifying. Uh, but there's also the reality of, in this case, of going we're known and we're seen. And Jesus then introduces himself as the one who holds the key of David. Now, that that uh, phrase, talking about this key of David, is first spoken of in Isaiah 22, 22. And it's referring to Eliakim, who served as the palace administrator under King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. And uh, it spoke there in, in Isaiah 22 of the uh, the position, the influence, and the power uh, that he had in the kingdom and would have in the kingdom. And and so that's that the palace administrator role was a powerful role under the king in the nation of Israel. And so Isaiah 22 speaks of God actually placing Eliakim in this position, that it was clearly the work of the Lord in establishing him in that position. And then it also says that he didn't actually, he, he, he fell and it didn't end so well. We don't know exactly what happened, but uh, it mentions that. But ultimately now Jesus, he claims this as his. He says, uh, you know, as much as that was speaking of Eliakim in Isaiah, ultimately it's actually, he takes it on. He says, this, I am the one who holds this key, the key of David. And, and so it speaks of Jesus's position, his influence, and his power. Now, the church in Philadelphia was was obviously facing persecution from Jews in the city. Uh, like Smyrna, Jesus calls these Jews that are persecuting uh, his followers from the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> like it's, it's just a really um, harsh term. But, and he says, Jesus says, they, they claim to be Jews, but are not. And so that's why. Now, you go, why would he call them the synagogue of Satan? Well, if you recall back in John 8, um, where Jesus is having a discussion with the religious leaders who are accusing him, and he said, look, if God were your father, you would love me. And Jesus says, actually, you are of your father, the devil. So, you know, this doesn't come out of nowhere. Jesus... Uh, even while on this earth, he spoke very pointedly to those who were deceived. And, you know, just a side note too, where verse 10, where it speaks of, um, Jesus speaks of keeping them from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Um, 
this has been a, a source of a lot of theological debate um, over the years, especially in the course of my lifetime, when it when it comes to the tribulation and what Christians will or will not face, it's it's not certain that this is speaking of one particular event or time, but rather the ongoing trials that face believers in the world, and and there's this exhortation in that to endure patiently. So, I I wouldn't camp necessarily on the view that this is speaking to like an end of the world thing and this is for all of us. I I think again these letters are written very specifically into specific situations that probably would have meant something to the church in Philadelphia, would have had a lot of local context, some that we can try to glean, but a lot that we can't. Um but, you know, Jesus reveals that in the end, this church will be seen as being loved by him. Now, so although they were in the midst of extenuating circumstances and ongoing persecution, Jesus says to, to hold on to what they have. He says he's, he's coming soon. Now, again, this is where we might perceive and again, because of some of the, the views, especially when it comes to eschatology that we might have, we might perceive I'm coming soon as Jesus speaking to his second coming. But in this context, I also wonder if it might refer to Jesus's coming and meeting this church in their circumstances. This Again, this is a specific, a personal letter to a specific church with specific circumstances. And, and this is particularly encouraging amidst what feels like very discouraging days, I think, as I said at the beginning, for I think many of us, and just sort of low-grade struggle for many of us, or even maybe quite prevalent, and lots to process. Like, I, just this week, today, I had so many discussions and different conversations with people and trying to process different aspects of everything that's going on. And there's there's much of this that cannot be embraced one or the other way with biblical commands, right? Like, like you can't say, I'm holding this position and clearly I'm holding this position because of this verse. It's in this particular circumstance that we're walking through with everything that's going on in Canada and Manitoba, you can't do that. And so, and then you add in misquoting and misapplying scripture, which is commonplace in a pop culture sort of spirituality, um, where you know we like scripture in really bite-sized single verse pieces, and we we like to pull it out of context and apply it how we like, and and so it's so imperative right now that we are listening to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, and, and you might go, well, how do I do this? Like, what does that even mean? Well, let's unpack that. It means cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus. It it means not just reading the word and, and, and hopefully the very minimum we're doing that, we're in the word, but not just reading it as knowledge or information, but thinking through it deeply meditating on it, allowing, chewing on it, allowing it to go deep inside of us, using study aids to help us understand and give context so that we're not misquoting, actually using good 
uh, commentaries, which is not just for pastors. It's for people if you want to understand the context of the world word. But but then even in that, then asking what is God specifically wanting to say to me through this, not what I want it to say or want him to say, but what is he saying? And and this takes time. Just thinking about this, I had a discussion about this today too. This takes time to sit, to read, and then to feel what's going on in ourselves and what emotions we're dealing with that can cloud our perception. And then as we're processing this, listening to what God desires to speak to us and, and, and allowing the word to dwell in us and sit on us and to, and to permeate and to be, do, and, and none of this is possible for looking to hurry. If this is just like, got to bang out my five minute devotional or whatever, just got to, you know, just got to read a quick few verses, but you know, I'm on the run. I'm, I'm, I'm rushed. I've got this, this, and this going on. Yeah. You're not going to do it. Um, you're not, you're not, you're not going to hear the Lord clearly. It takes time. And there's, there is no, uh, there's no alternative to that. Now, the question is, how do we endure patiently? How do we hold on to what we have? Those are, I think, two really pertinent questions for us right now that we could take out of this text. And there is only one answer. We must stay close to Jesus. We must learn to cultivate a life of fellowship and relationship with him. There, there is no alternative. It's, it, is, it is about fellowship and relationship with him. Now, the city of Philadelphia, it's interesting because it was destroyed by an earthquake in 17 AD, then it was rebuilt, but then it continued to experience some quakes. I'm assuming it was on a fault line of some sort, but there was this perpetual fear of always having more earthquakes and maybe potentially even there's fear of having the big one, you know, I don't know, like like the West Coast kind of has, but but... There was enough of them actually, I mean, we're talking not a long period of time. There was enough quakes that it wasn't just like, it was, it was something that really weighed on the people. So much so that many people in the area of this city lived outside of the city center. They, they, they wanted to be away in the case of a major quake. Uh, And I'm assuming, you know, first century buildings weren't built that well, but, but there was this prevalent and ongoing fear of those who lived there. And so notice then what Jesus promises the church for enduring and holding on. He says, I will make you a temple of God. Never again will you leave it. And, and he mentions there, I will make a pillar. He will make us a pillar. So like you're going to be firm. You're going to be secure. There's this thing there about being secure, firm, even unshakable, if you will. Written on them will be the name of God, the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, and the name of Jesus. That's, that's, that's an incredible promise. And, and they, they, this church, they seem to be, from what we gather, they were under constant attack, perhaps feeling shaken, 
not just in the physical world. So the, the, you know, what was going on in the physical world, but actually their spiritual state, it, it mirrored the physical state and this fear and feeling shaken. In fact, that's what Jesus says at the beginning to them. He says, you have live, I, I know you have little strength. Like Jesus, he reminds them who they are. They were being told by the Jews of the city that they were worthless, following a false Messiah, attacked for their commitment and apprenticeship to Jesus and, and staying true, and were under constant attack for that. But this this is what the Lord says of those who follow him. And this is, this is so poignant and so incredible. Isaiah 56, verses 6 to 8, speaking about those outside of Israel who will come in and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. May we be those people in these days, you know, amidst fatigue, frustration, exhaustion, feeling overwhelmed, and all the rest of things. And, you know, if you're like, that's, that's me, I, I'm, my hand's up, I'm, I'm with you. But let us be, amidst that, people in these days, those who love the name of the Lord. Those who put their trust in him and rest in him. That, that's, that's part of what Sabbath is. And those who hold fast to his covenant. The promise is joy in his house of prayer. Acceptance before the Lord and going forth, the going forth of the gospel. You know, it's interesting. Twice in the New Testament, Paul speaks of open doors. And again, remember, Jesus says, I hold the keys. I'm the one who opens doors. I'm the one who shuts doors. Twice, Paul speaks of open doors in relation to the gospel going forth through him and through those who are with him. And I think that's clear for us. We're called to share Jesus. And I want to keep reminding myself in these days amidst all this, we are called to be the people of God sharing the goodness of the gospel. And it is good news. And I also think in these days, perhaps we're like the church in Philadelphia. We need to be reminded of the goodness of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the faithfulness of Jesus. We need to be reminded that he's with us. And we need to, like the church in Philadelphia, we need to hold on to what we have. We need to endure patiently. And we need to keep keeping the word of God and not denying the name of Jesus. And so we're going to leave it there for today. And we will be back next week to finish up this study of these letters to the churches. And it's good to be together, even through this way. And uh, bless you, my friends, as we continue on and as we patiently endure uh, for the, the good of others and for the glory of God. 
in these days. And so, till we see you again, Lord willing, bless you.